As G.K. Chesterton said, a dead thing can go with the stream, but only a living thing can go against it. Here on Swimming Upstream, we go against the cultural stream by championing life, liberty, and the pursuit of holiness. Your host is Eric Sammons, author of seven books, including Holiness for Everyone, The Old Evangelization, and Bitcoin Basics. Now let's get swimming. Hello, and welcome to Swimming Upstream. Today what I want to talk about is what I call the battle for the soul of the Vatican. What do I mean by that? What I mean is the fact that throughout history, the church has also often had to confront a battle within its ranks, so to speak. Now, note I don't say a battle for the soul of the church. The reason I don't say that is because the soul of the church is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit can't really be battled with. He's always going to win. And so he always protects the church. The church will always survive. Even if it's a small remnant, there will always be the Catholic Church until our Lord comes again. However, that doesn't mean that every aspect of the church is going to be protected, every aspect of the church is going to be great, or anything like that. And in fact, there's always been a concerted effort to attack the center of the Catholic Church, which is the Vatican, Rome. So you have a lot of political movements that have tried to overtake Rome, a lot of powerful people who have tried to overtake Rome, tried to overtake the Vatican, because they know if they do, they weaken the Catholic Church. They may think they could destroy it. They can't really destroy it. All they can do is weaken it. But they can weaken it and do great harm, and many souls could be lost because of that. We see this battle for the soul of the Vatican happening, obviously, throughout church history, but there's certain times in history where it really flares up. One example is in the 9th and 10th century. Definitely the low point for the papacy, where basically the papacy was bought and sold. It was controlled by a number of local Roman aristocratic families that just made it their, their a political position more than anything else. And so we had terrible popes during that time, and really the, the, it was a low point for the Vatican and for the church in general. We also see it again later in the Middle Ages, when we have the Avignon papacy, where we have a situation where the Pope has moved out of Rome, is now controlled by the French, by France, and is conformed to French politics, and he lives in Avignon, France. The Great Western Schism that followed the Avignon Papacy is another example, where we have many people competing who is Rome. We have multiple claimants to the Papal throne. There's another example of where we have uh, the soul of the Vatican is, beating, is being fought over. And of course, in the Reformation, time in the 16th century when we have such corruption happening in Rome where the Pope is such a poor example of the Christian life. And of course that leads to the Protestant Revolution and then fortunately on the Catholic side the Catholic Counter-Reformation. But so we see there's certain times, although always the, 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 the enemies of the church want to overtake the Vatican, there are times when they're much more successful than others. I personally believe we're currently in the midst of one of those times, one of those times in which the soul of the Vatican is being fought over. It's happening again, in other words. I think really it, it came to fruition after Vatican II. I think there was elements of it before Vatican II. I think Vatican II itself was the beginnings of it. And in some ways, and I know some people might disagree with this, but I think Vatican II ended up being somewhat of a truce between the two sides. And what are the two sides, by the way, that I'm talking about? I'm talking about those who uphold and believe in the tradition of the church. Not necessarily what you call traditionalists, although traditionalists definitely fall under this. But anybody who 
accepts the church for what it is and believes the church should continue to boldly proclaim what the church has always taught, what Christ has commanded it to teach. Specifically when it comes to the moral teachings of the church, when it comes to issues like abortion or contraception or homosexuality or any issue like that, that are such big issues today. That's one side, those who want to uphold that. The other side are those who want to conform to the world, conform to the world standards. I would call them the conformist, for lack of a better term. And so we see in, at Vatican II where the conformists really, originally the council that John Twenty-Third called, was probably just going to, was originally just planned to be somewhat of a restatement of the tradition, maybe worded a little differently. But then the conformists really scored victory after victory behind the scenes at the Vatican. Now, they didn't have enough power to really completely overcome the, 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 those who supported tradition. And so Vatican II, the documents themselves, if you read them, they come out very, I mean, middle of the road, very ambiguous. You can interpret them any way. Traditionalists can interpret certain parts of, the, of Vatican II as, as supporting their position, and then conformists can quote certain parts of Vatican II documents as supporting their position. But then after Vatican II concluded, that's when we really saw the victory for the conformists. They really started to win battle after battle after battle. We saw it in the liturgy, we saw it in moral teaching. You know, there was the, the one moment, shining moment for tradition when uh, Pope Paul VI promulgated Humana Vitae. But really, that was a light in a sea of darkness. And so we see under Paul VI, we see again and again the conformists winning, and they're really taking over the running of the Vatican. And we see that in how seminarians began to be run in the 1970s and 1980s, how the Vatican allowed all this. Now, you might think, okay, well, we had John Paul II, we had Benedict XVI, so now we have those who support tradition are come, making a comeback. And I guess that's true in some ways. However, if you really look at the record, what we see is John Paul II was very much outward focused. He was focused on the world and evangelizing the world. He wasn't focused on cleaning up the Vatican and battling the conformists. In fact, if you look at his bishop appointments, it's conformist after conformist after conformist. And so what we see there is that, that although John Paul II, St. John Paul II, who I believe did many good things, at the same time he allowed the conformists in the Vatican to really continue to have charge. There's a few exceptions. Cardinal Ratzinger obviously is one of them. But in general, they were able to run the church as they always had, even under John Paul II. Then we have Benedict XVI. Now, of course, he had worked in the Vatican for decades. He knew exactly the battle plan. He knew what the conformists were doing, and he knew uh, who was a conformist and who wasn't. And what he ended up doing is, he ended up giving up, I mean, uh, for lack of a better word. It was, the conformists were just too powerful for him to overcome. And so in the end, he gave up. And I think he hoped and prayed that the next pope who replaced him would be one who could fight and have the energy to fight the conformists and really be a victory for those who uphold tradition in the church. Fortunately, we know exactly what happened. Instead, the conformist candidate, Pope Francis, was elected which was a real tragedy for the church. Now, I know some are going to not like me saying that. They're going to say that, you know, he's the Holy Father, the Holy Spirit picks him, things like that. That's all nonsense. Obviously, he's the Holy Father, but it's nonsense that the, that the Holy Spirit picks the Pope. If you know anything about the history of popes, we've had some terrible popes. Are we going to say the Holy Spirit picked all of them? No, that's, that's ludicrous. The, the College of Cardinals, the papal electors, they have to listen and abide by the guidance of the Holy Spirit when they're electing a pope. 
So with Pope Francis, what we have is we have somebody who very much outwardly and openly admits he's basically trying to conform the Catholic Church to the world. We see that in various things he's doing. For example, the whole push for communion for divorce and remarried is a push to be more like the moral standards of the world. We see that with his change of the teaching of the church on the death penalty, trying to be more like the teachings of the standards of the world. We see that over and over again the way he tries to, excuse me, embrace, embrace this world. He embraces people like Bono, who's pro, the lead singer of U2, who's pro-abortion, who's outwardly pro-abortion. He embraces politicians who are totally anti-Catholic. And yet he holds his distance from any public, you know, major figures who are very pro-life or very pro-Catholic or anything like that. So we see him conforming to the world. And so really this was a victory for the conformist. However, what's happened is something I think a little bit unexpected. In recent months, really, just over the past few months, now all of a sudden this battle that had been going on for decades behind the scenes and which the conformists had really won battle after battle after battle, now, all of a sudden, it's got out into the open and the traditionalists, those who believe in tradition, are starting to fight back openly. And this is because of what's happened with Cardinal McCarrick, former Cardinal McCarrick, how it came out that he had been, uh, a oh my gosh, I, I can't even think of the adjectives he used to describe the life of Cardinal McCarrick, how he had been a serial sex abuser, how he had taken advantage of seminarians and minors. And yet, he had risen to the highest levels of the church in spite of that. Perhaps even someone would say because of that. And so what we see is that came out, and now all of a sudden, people, Catholics, like who basically sat on the sidelines for years, who upheld tradition, who believed in what the church had taught, what the church always teaches, that it's, that it's still true, all of a sudden they're like, wait a second. This has been going on for decades, and nothing has been done. I'm fed up. I'm tired of it. We saw more and more Catholics begin to stand up and say, no more. This is ridiculous. We see prominent conservative Catholics, Orthodox Catholics, who are good men, people like Scott Hahn or Steve Ray, good men who I, I have a lot of respect for, but who had kept on the sidelines during this battle for various reasons, and I don't, I don't uh, challenge their reasons or question them or their motives in any way. I think they're good, sincere Catholics who are doing a lot for the church. In fact, I would claim someone like a Scott Hahn or Steve Ray has done more for the Catholic Church than anybody watching this video probably has, including the person who's making the video myself. Yet, what we so we see that they all of a sudden they started to come out. Uh, lots of Catholics. There's all of a sudden an eruption of Catholics who said, "Enough." We're not going to take this anymore. And then it really reached its tipping point when Archbishop Vagano, the former apostolic nuncio in the United States, came out with his bombshell letter in which he accused Pope Francis himself of covering up the McCarrick affair. And he named lots of other people. And he really heavily criticized Pope Francis and all the conformists for what they were doing to the church. And this just brought the battle completely out into the open. Now all of a sudden it was a, it was a partisan battle, so to speak. You were either on the side of tradition or you're on the side of let's conform to this world, the conformist view. And so, and of course, Pope Francis was the leader of the conformist view. I guess you would say Archbishop Vagano has become somewhat of a leader of the uh, traditional view, although he's in hiding and he just sends out letters every once in a while. But really, lots of Catholics now have come out and said, this is enough. We're not going to take this anymore. We're going to fight back for our church. Most recently, we've seen the battle come up with the fact that the uh, prefect of the Congregation for Bishops, Cardinal Olet, 
I mispronounced that name, I apologize. He wrote a letter recently that responded to Vagano. And what he basically said was, he, he did a few things. Number one, he had just nauseating, fawning uh, statements about Pope Francis, about how he has this personal, great personal integrity, how he has his peace, he has his charisma, and yada, yada, yada. I mean, really, it was a little bit sickening. This is not how we're supposed to look at popes. We're supposed to look at popes as the leader of the church whom God has entrusted to protect the faith from the wolves, to protect the sheep from the wolves, not to be one of the wolves. And if the pope acts in concert with the wolves, then he is to be resisted by Catholics. Always out of respect, never against the office, only against the person who's holding that office. And so Oletto, he, he is completely on side of team conformist. And then he also attacked Archbishop Vigano. And he did not, and in fact, he also acknowledged the main accusation Vigano made, which is that the Pope knew about the that there were sanctions against McCarrick under Benedict, and that it was known that these existed, and yet nothing was really done. And in fact, implicitly, the fact that, that Cardinal McCarrick became much more prominent on Pope Francis, it's implicit that Pope Francis cared little or nothing about those accusations. Now, Olette claims that there was no proof for them, but it's like, well, there's so many rumors, why didn't the Vatican step in and do an investigation to see if there's any actual proof? Don't tell me that there's no proof. You're the one in charge of seeing if there can be proof uh, produced or not. So what now we have a cardinal versus a former apostolic nuncio fighting it out. Pope Francis is trying to act like he's above the fray by saying he's going to stay silent. He's trying to act like he's, a, he, he's Christ and he's silent against these accusations. But the fact is, it's just making, he's really digging in because he's become passive aggressive and constantly talking about this in terms like, oh, the great accuser always uses people like this. In his homilies, every day, he's finding a way to bring it up. And so what we see, though, is we see this battle where, so Francis is trying to stay out of it, but we have cardinal versus cardinal, bishop versus bishop, Catholic versus Catholic. And so for a lot of people, this might be very disconcerting. It is very disconcerting. This doesn't seem like a very holy church now, does it? I thought we're supposed to be one holy Catholic and apostolic. We're not acting like one. We're not acting very holy. You could say we're not being very Catholic, not being very universal because we're choosing sides. We're not, you know, apostolic. The problem is we have some successors of the apostles on one side, some successors of the apostles on another side. Yet I would claim that this is actually a good thing. Why do I say that? Not that it's good that there's division in the church, that there's battles in the church. I say it's a good thing, though, because this battle has existed for decades behind the scenes, and we've all had our heads in the sand trying to act like it doesn't matter. Oh, we have Pope John Paul II. He's this great second, this great saint, John Paul the Great, so everything must be okay. Oh, we have Benedict, this wonderful theologian, and I think that more than anybody. Oh, everything must be okay. And when Francis came out, well, maybe he's not so great at, at some of his public statements, but he's the Pope, so it can't be that bad. He can't really be saying bad things. But all the time that we were quiet, keeping our heads in sands and being quiet, bishops were doing terrible things, priests were doing terrible things, and I don't just mean about the sex abuse scandal, I mean about promoting heresy, promoting teachings that are against the church, allowing priests to to desecrate the mass effectively. In my city where I live, Cincinnati, there's a chapel, a college at a Catholic, a chapel at a Catholic church, where they have mass, I'm gonna put that in quotation marks, mass 
using invalid matter. They don't use proper matter most of the time for the sacred host. So it's not a valid mass. Yet the bishop allows this to happen. And so we see this across the world, not just here, not just in isolated places. And this has gone on and on with nobody really challenging it. Now though, at least it's out in the open, out in the open Catholics can choose sides. They can say, do I want to be with those who uphold the tradition of the church and are with the tradition of the church, or do I want to be with those who conform to this world and want to be more like the world, more and more like the world? We have a decision to make Catholics. Are we going to be with tradition? Or are we going to be with conformity with the world? Personally, for myself, I choose tradition, and I think every Catholic, every faithful Catholic should do the same. And this battle is going to get messier. This battle isn't over. It's not even be, really begun. We're just at the first stages of it. If you look at the history of these battles, previous battles in the church, they can last decades, even hundreds of years. And so to think that this is going to be over soon would be deluding yourself. This is going to go on for a while, and it could get a lot uglier, uglier before things start to resolve themselves. So we have to be in it for the long haul. And obviously our weapons, our first weapon is prayer, it's fasting, but it's also action based upon that prayer and fasting, those sacrifices we make, those prayers we make for the church, we also take action. We resist error when we see it. We don't allow uh, Catholics, even at higher level Catholics, get away with their con continuing to conform to the world. But we say, no, we are going to embrace the tradition of the church. We are going to be Catholic in everything we say and do. Okay, well that's it for today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Until next time, keep swimming against the stream. <music>